welcome to the Domestic Fuel Cast, a podcast devoted to news and information about alternative fuels and energy. Produced and hosted by Zimcom New Media. A tale of two press conferences for ethanol. One seeing it as the best of fuels, the other the worst of fuels. While the latest information from the U.S. Department of Energy's Sandia National Laboratories that the U.S. could get a third of its gasoline needs from 90 billion gallons of renewable, sustainable, cellulosic ethanol by 2030 doesn't read exactly like a Charles Dickens novel, the lab's director of its Transportation Energy Center, Bob Carling, finds it quite exciting, as do many in the renewable energy business and those concerned with the country's energy future. 90 billion gallons of ethanol equates to about 60 billion gallons of gasoline. The projections from the DOE and others is that in 2030, which is the time frame we're looking at here, in 2030 the country will need about 180 billion gallons of gasoline. So this is about a third of that amount, which is going to have a could have a significant impact on oil imports. So we set that as a target that we thought a third of gasoline would have a real uh, important impact on oil imports to this country. The bottom line is that it, uh, if you want to in, uh, invest in infrastructure for the future, the cost of the investment, capital investment to produce the 60 billion gallons of gasoline by 2030 is about what it would take to create the same amount of gasoline through uh, domestic uh, oil production. And so the question that you have to ask yourself is, which would you rather do? You'd think that environmentalists would be pleased with the prospect at substituting non-renewable petroleum for sustainable non-food source ethanol. But the environmental working group's Jonathan Lewis gives this perplexing answer. Burning gasoline is better than increasing the, um, increasing the production of corn ethanol. In fact, shortly after Sandia released its figures for cellulosic ethanol, the Environmental Working Group launched an attack against the green fuel, dismissing many of what most experts agree are the most positive aspects of ethanol, dredging up some old arguments made by the big grocery store industry that ethanol drives up food prices, as well as attacking its production as having a negative effect on the environment, especially expanding the so-called dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico, blamed on a perceived increase in the runoff of fertilizers because of the increased corn production to make ethanol. However, when domestic fuels Chuck Zimmerman asked, wasn't there the dead zone before ethanol ramped up corn production? The group's Craig Cox quickly backed down from the assertion. So you have seen research that, that points directly to biofuels production for causing those dead zones? You know, clearly the dead zone was there before there were any biofuels or corn ethanol in the Mississippi River drainage. Major U.S. companies, such as the auto industry, recognize the importance of sustainable ethanol production. General Motors Vice President for Research and Development and Strategic Planning, Larry Burns, describes the relationship between his company and the Sandia National Lab as important to the health of his company and to the overall health of the U.S. economy. Our industry, the auto industry, is at a critical juncture. Uh, there's no secret we're facing significant financial challenges and that's been brought on by a number of forces, including the slowdown of the global economy. But we also, at the same time, have to address some major societal uh, challenges around energy, environment, and sustainable mobility. Um, these challenges can't be addressed by any one company or any one industry alone. We have to do it through teamwork. This is precisely why studies like uh, the one here that Sandia and GM have done together are so important. 
They point the way to how we can best accelerate the development of clean and efficient technologies, products, and infrastructure that will strengthen the U.S. economy and create American jobs. Sandy, as Todd West says, the estimate of being able to produce that 90 billion gallons of biomass ethanol, one-third of America's gasoline needs by 2030, is even based on very conservative production and transportation figures that could be enhanced if pipelines become more viable than planned rail transportation to ship the green fuel. We certainly looked at uh, shipping the ethanol by pipeline, by, by rail, and by truck and other means and had a number of conversations with pipeline companies, including uh, Kinder Morgan, who, as you, as you, as you allude to, are doing some uh, small-scale small scale, uh, shipping of, of ethanol through pipelines. Uh, basically, what we heard uh, led us to take the more conservative assumption, if you will, of, uh, that this would be primarily through rail. If pipelines are built on a large scale and to ship ethanol, that would reduce the cost uh, to some extent for the, for the overall uh, transportation of the ethanol, so that would be a net plus. Uh, to to the uh, economic feasibility of doing this. It all comes down to whether you want to look forward. We're looking for partners for the future. We'd be happy to discuss many of the details. I have some of my colleagues here that have worked directly with this, uh, and we would be happy to discuss further with anybody, and we're in the midst of looking for potential partners for this. Or backward. Burning gasoline is better than increasing the um, increasing the production of corn ethanol. I'm John Davis reporting. You've been listening to the Domestic Fuel Cast, the official podcast of DomesticFuel.com. Check out the website daily for the latest good news about the alternative energy industry.